Hi everyone, and thanks for tuning into this episode of Thank You Now What, a podcast about life after service. I'm your host, Matt DeVivo. This episode was produced by Ben Murray. In this episode, we'll talk to a very good friend of mine, Nate Spearing. After high school, Nate joined the Army as a member of the 75th Ranger Regiment and continued his career in special operations for the next 14 years. Once he decided to leave, he took some skills that his father taught him, along with some extensive home improvement experience to create a local construction and home remodeling business. We're going to talk about Nate being homeschooled and being very openly religious and what social challenges that afforded him in the Army. We're going to talk about his journey through introspection and professional self-development, the challenges and joys of entrepreneurship, the importance of family, faith, and community to him as he was able to refocus while shifting careers, and his experience with the COVID pandemic and the pleasant realization that he could operate in a recession-protected industry. We're also going to talk about making business fun while using it to teach his kids about life. Nate and I go way back, so we actually sat down in Micah's Brewery from episode two, and we talked for nearly three hours. These are just the highlights. Hope you enjoy. That what I did was worth it for my right to live the rest of my life in America. Wake up next to my wife to go and do construction is worth what you did in the military. <laughs> We're here with uh, Nate. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So. First things first, I, I Googled it and there's 850,000 active podcasts. So tell everyone how I stole your idea. <laughs> I started a podcast specifically wanting to focus on the kind of the hard and nitty gritty and ugly kind of parts of transition separating from the military. Yeah, I mean, yours, yours is kind of like you're explaining your own journey to people yeah. uh, and it's very personal and, you know, each episode builds on each other and ours kind of trying to look at a bunch of different people in each episode being part of an anthology with separate stories. And a lot of people don't, they're not gonna ask or they're really not gonna dig deep like I plan to. So, well, uh -oh. I mean, maybe not that deep. <laughs> so talk about what you're doing right now, but then we'll skip back to the beginning, I guess. So I have a company, you own a company called Transform NC. You do premium home remodeling and general contracting here in North Carolina. Yes. You've been doing this your whole life though. Pretty much. Okay, so you've, you've run your own company for the past three years after you got out of the military, but you've really been doing this kind of work ever since you were uh, growing up with your dad, right? Yeah, I was homeschooled in Northern Alabama and the oldest of seven kids and when my mom was pregnant with uh, the seventh child, we started looking for a home that would accommodate the size of our family because I think we were in a three bedroom house at that point. We ended up buying a home that had three bedrooms but adding on to it over the course of, I think it took us about three years, basically lived remodeling from age 12 till I left for the military because we just kind of kept adding on to yeah. our family home and remodeling it. And my dad's an engineer, so was hands-on and experienced every aspect of the trades kind of residential side from you know pre on the, the the work at the beginning all the way up to the finishes and just did everything basically all weekend every weekend for several years just kind of something that we did and yeah. i don't think expected that it would be my livelihood either but when we got kind of to the point where my wife and i wanted to buy our first home we recognized that the location was better for a home that was run down and just kind of fell into, I kind of 
realized, hey, I, I think I could, we could buy this kind of rundown house and I could, I could fix it up. Yeah. So we started doing that in the military. We did basically two homes in the military. And when I got out, I guess I wrongly assumed that, you know, I did, did the trades kind of my whole life that this, this would just be easy. I'll, I'll figure out the business stuff on the side, you know, 70, 80% of it's gonna be, you know, technical and understanding construction and how to do it. And I'll just figure out that 20, 30% of business yeah. uh, on the fly. And yeah. then kind of coming to the realization that running a construction business is like 80, 90% business and, and 10, 20% technical. It seems like no business is as simple as it sounds. No, you no, I think that that would probably be one of the things that was the most eye-opening for me is, and, and everybody, everybody that's ever kind of bootstrapped something themselves. So your father's an engineer. He, yeah, he, he doesn't in he doesn't do improvements by trade, but he no. just took to it because his family's growing, yeah. and he says we need to make this house bigger. Yes. <laughs> we need to fit more people in this house. So he <laughs> yeah, just so he just started doing it. But you learned a lot of other stuff from your dad too. Like you started working on computers. You started programming computers. Uh, you were into like electronics at you know a young age, and you got to spend a lot of time learning from him that really set you up to be successful in the military and then later on, either as a family man or as a father yourself or running your own business? I would say that it set me up more for, you know, being a father and a businessman more than it did for the Army. I don't know if I said this earlier, but I was homeschooled as well, so. Oh, we all know, yeah. yeah. Being homeschooled and always having to kind of chart your own path. I, I arrived at adulthood not really understanding how weird I was. Yeah, so, I, how, all right, so how, I'll stop you several times, but how does a religious homeschool kid find himself as a private in the Army Rangers? I remember I was a junior in high school when, when the towers fell, and I, we actually did a senior trip which I know, you know, listeners may say, you know, how is the senior? My mom and I didn't do the senior trip. I was actually, there's a, it's, I was involved in a homeschool group that had about three to four hundred families in in northern Alabama. That kind of all we yeah. we do our sciences and our literature. And in high school, you took a kind of a once a week class. You had classmates. So my class was like 26 kids, and we had a trip planned for the end of September to New York City, you know, going into uh, senior year. Arrived in downtown Manhattan and, and ground zero while everything was still fresh, like it was only two or three weeks after. Yeah. And I remember feeling that pretty significantly, but I, I don't think that I, that caused me, that was kind of a significant experience, but it wasn't the reason that I joined. It was, it was something that kind of was there, an underlying thing. I kind of had the wrong impression of the military growing up. It was one of those things that you did when you couldn't get into college. Yeah. And I actually met a guy in my hometown of my church that had been to ranger school and started to discuss with them. I, I always was the kid that dressed up in camouflage and you know, we got pictures of me and my best friends like completely face painted up like inside our ears and everything. And it became a course of action I could brief to my parents and, and get approval on. In the family culture that we had, if, if my parents said, you know, no, like I, I, yeah. I wouldn't have done it. It would have been that difficult to, oh, okay. to defy. So you actually had to convince them you weren't 
like this is what I'm doing. I hope you understand. Yeah. You actually had to get them to sign on. Yeah. Well, I, I personally did. Obviously, the yeah, army no, doesn't I know care. That. But yeah. So I, I found out that you could do school while you're in, and I basically was like, sweet. I, another thing I think was really I didn't even realize this. I don't think, but I did watch uh, Black Hawk Down. I, I I should probably before we did this figure out what year that that came out. I think it was 2001. Yeah, so yeah. watching that movie now after kind of living that life, it's a different thing, but as a high school kid watching it, you're oh, like, yeah. that is exactly what I was born to do. Yeah, yeah Special well, Operations really owes Ridley Scott uh, at least a thank you note. Yeah, and I have I have a photo of me. For putting that movie out I, that year. I have a photo of me with like seven or eight years old with an Airborne Ranger t-shirt on. <laughs> I have, you know, read the LERP books for Vietnam and the, the reconnaissance stuff. So I never really connected any of that. My plan was to go to uh, school, same college my dad went to, get an engineering degree like him and do software because he has a software company. And then found out like, okay, I could do what I really want to do yeah. and also get the school. And so I prepared and briefed my dad and my mom and basically came to them like a pitch, you know, like, okay, so I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna be a ranger, but I'm gonna come out with my degree. I was gonna do just four, get two years of school and then go to college as soon as four yeah. years was done. And I fully intended to do that, yeah. but had no idea how much I would love and enjoy the military. By the time I got to Ranger Battalion, I had you heard come most to of full it? realization uh, of what I had done and how different I was from everybody else there. As far as a religious person goes in the military, you got you don't really have them unless you're legitimate. Like you, you throw that away if you didn't really believe it, and you go into the military, it's going to take it from you. Every argument to make you get rid of it or to go back on it is going to get thrown your way, and it's. It's crucible, you know. Are you having your own personal beliefs challenged and how, or are you just having like the institution of you being closely tied to your home church, just like, hey, you gotta throw that out, you're in the army now? Mostly the former personal beliefs being challenged. I got advice that said, look, be outspoken about your faith, don't try to hide it, they're gonna figure it out. And then you, it becomes kind of a, a, a built-in accountability, if you will. You get challenged, like, do you even belong here? Yeah. You know, I, I had team leaders that say, you're a Christian and the Bible says thou shalt not kill, so how can I trust you yeah. on my team? In, in you think that? they were just trying to push you or they're being sincere? I, I got that they were being sincere. They were like, what the heck? You, we got a, a Bible-thumping pansy here. Yeah. As soon as the firefight starts, he's gonna like curl up into a ball and start praying and crying. But yeah. we both know that some of the most hardcore warriors we got are deeply religious. Yeah, but I don't think that you experience that at the, like if you talk, this is like a corporal in Ranger Battalion. The reality is that guy's challenge in me probably hasn't been in that many firefights at that point either. Like, so you just haven't met enough people where you met the other people like you yet? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe I haven't even realized that now, but that kind of goes away. Go, oh, the guy's still being this religious dude. He must be legit because he's been in 10 years now and he's still religious. So like the more, I guess, street cred you get from doing your job and proving yourself gives you the freedom to just defend your beliefs and fewer and fewer people question them over time. Yeah, for me, 
those beliefs are incredibly foundational for me. I mean, I personally believe that a Christian should be the fiercest, you know, and I've said before, like, I know where I'm going when I'm done with this. I'm not afraid of where I'm going if I die, you know, and also believing that everything that's happening is somehow knit together in a, in this master plan, uh, gives you kind of a confidence to execute, you know, but I, I think that the other side of it is, is it's, a tremendous blessing to have been in the military because I was able to be with guys that are so different than me in where they grew up geographically and and what their personal beliefs are and the army kind of strips the external away something that our country's going through right now these kind of external things about people that you you vector in on we all are shaved bald we're all in the same uniform and we can have a purpose and a common goal and that kind of allows all these things that are different about us to be discussed in a sense like we're all in this together we all have these different views i mean we talk about you and and me how different we are and yeah. and growing up but yet really good friends because of where we met you know yeah uh, pretty different backgrounds and we've been you know what do you mean, like 10 years ago? I remember the first time I met you, I thought you had a peg leg, not a prosthetic leg, a peg leg, because we have friends that have prosthetic legs, but you yes. you had your ankle in a boot, your, and you had one of those 90 degree knee braces, and you're actually walking on a, a peg coming off your knee, it was radical. Yes. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, <laughs> we got a peg leg guy on the team? I was brand new to the team. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, the story is you ran off a cliff chasing a bad guy. Yes. Yeah, chasing some some guys across open terrain via helicopter and kind of, they kind of ran off into a wadi or what, you know, a, a place that was washed out in the train. We kind of had to go to foot and I was in my scope and, and kind of shooting all the way to the ground and and then the dust was all around us and I failed to see that there was like a 12 foot cliff kind of right off the helicopter. So I unclipped and took off running and literally did the acne cartoon, like Roadrunner. Like, you don't fall until you look down? Yeah, you're like feet are spinning and you, there's like that moment you're frozen in <laughs> the air and then you just plummet to the ground. And I, I, I had enough time to think, I hope I hit the ground soon and then crunch. <laughs> Run. You very politely broke another person's fall who came yes. after you on the cliff. True. I was not the only one that ran off the cliff. But then, you know, you know how it is. Like, you don't break a foot and then it's like, hey, guys, I broke a foot. So I'm going to go be at the house while this thing heals. You still show up every day and you still hobble. So the peg leg was awesome because it allowed me to <laughs> kind of continue uh, as much as possible. You know, the Indiana Jones said it best, it's not the years, babe, it's the mileage. Uh, and any of us that, that kind of went, went hard our entire service, you know, we're relatively young. Yeah. Our society considers us young, but the mileage that we've experienced. So still, you know, get out of bed and takes a little while to kind of get things uh, warmed up. Because you, you know, still do a pretty manual job yes yeah no i calling around all day and you know lifting moving stuff too yeah the reality is 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 you know we know that as banged up as we are 
our life is is a lot better than a lot of the guys we've known. So. It's hard to complain when you have friends like ours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So now you come from a big family. Your wife comes from a big family. Yep. You guys are creating a big family. Yep. Yeah, yep. I was thinking about it. I have eight deployments and five kids and the math kind of works out like between deployments for the most part there's a kid showing up what was it like getting married really young and then just getting like right into family planning and well, trying to balance think, a career I mean, I with that one of the things you know extremely religious so my brief when i showed up to my first team leader is you know hey i'm private spearing i'm a christian i don't drink i don't cuss and i'm a virgin and i will be until my honeymoon night uh, you know, and, and, and that's maybe why I experienced some of like what we talked about earlier, like, you know, this podcast is public, right? I don't mind. Everybody knows by my, the size of my family that the state of affairs have changed. <laughs> so it was definitely different, but the conversations to be had kind of, you know, the genuineness, I think that's a unique aspect of the military you don't experience on the outside is is the culture is such that you can kind of be authentic yeah. without repercussions uh well unless you're a virgin in ranger battalion but you can't like it's hard to it really is hard to separate personal and professional life in the military yeah well i mean the reality is you spend way more time with the guys you work with in the military than your family because either the hours are so long or just one deployment where it's 24 7 for months and years that immediately throws off the the spread where you've spent more time with the guys uh, the team than you have with your wife to get back on topic like i knew my wife when i was in high school we we met at kind of a youth conference and i had her in mind and it was love at first sight if you will and i kind of pursued her but you know the way she tells it is i was kind of a nerd and i think that becoming an airborne ranger helped me in the department with, with, you know, turned me into a man where maybe she paid me a little bit more attention than, uh, okay. than the nerdy homeschooler. Like after five years of, of persistence uh, and perseverance and we got married in 2006. And I think at that point I was four deployments in Ranger Battalion, you know, both being from large families that we thought we'll wait a year and then start having kids like have kids while you're young yeah. have a lot of kids like if you're going to have a lot of kids you got to get started early yeah and we both generally enjoyed being part of large families but i think we both kind of said we're not going to set any records my wife's one of 11 and i'm one of seven like yeah. my wife kind of always wanted five so okay so what do you enjoy most about it now because your oldest is 12. you just turned 11. oh okay um, sorry and i think that was the reason why i got out initially ultimately was I had been in 13 years at the time that I kind of put the mark on the wall and he was seven. So I was looking saying, okay, he's seven. I got to do seven more years to retire, double his life essentially before I'm, I can retire. Too much time, like I'm getting out. The kids are four to 11? Yes, four, four to 11. It's, it's hard because sometimes they're odd and even spread, but yes. Uh, <laughs> Five of them. Five of them, four to, four to age 11 right now. And I realized I was getting, kind of settling into a cycle of, I only got to be a dad for a couple months. And then I get to go skydive for a month. Then I get to go climb Mount Blanc in France. Then I get to go and do this cool team trip wherever. 
and I realized that there was light at the end of the tunnel being a husband and father and I was going to get to go do the fun sexy stuff in just a few weeks there was always something we're traveling to do there's a a deployment and you're allowed to kind of go into soldier mode I don't have to you got a a strong woman at home she's managing the kids she's paying the bills forget about all that stuff and you get to be a warrior and then when that's gone and you're like oh I got to be cleaning this crap off the floor I got to be put into bed 365 nights you know like there's no break coming before Um, we get into more of that let's wrap up like the military stuff right yeah yeah. so and then move through transition so at some point your nickname went from homeschool to stray voltage (laughs) had to bring that up so defend yourself Yeah, so I, I think obviously the most challenging thing for a homeschooler in the military is going to be the social aspect. I don't really ever feel like I had a lot of struggle with the physical fitness, with the technical uh, stuff, but understanding the politics and personality. I, I had a lot of singularity of focus on like get it done, whatever the cost. Is it tougher in special operations? Because if you're in a big army, you report to someone, you get your orders, you have people that report to you lot of structure special operations you incur more responsibility you know you work in sort of like teams of varying size and people just count on you to get stuff done you still got to read people so were you just you heard one thing and you went off and and you said okay that's how i'm gonna do it and there were more nuanced conversations that could have been happening with the people you're working with well, after experiencing multiple uh, cycles where I brief well at the beginning, the, the first impressions are okay, then the two weeks to the one year mark, people hate me and want to fire me. And then after a year, we're, we're best friends or I become the go-to guy. And, and so I actually went to some, some psychs in the army and said, hey, I need some help. I, I, things start out great then they get really terrible and it takes about a year for me to work myself out of that hole and then everything and so you saw this happen several times over yes pretty much every boss i ever worked for in the military i really had a difficulty with rank structure i was mission focused in a lot of things and if you were my boss and didn't see mission the same way and i was going to get it done like we had to get it done i just thought about things a lot differently and thought about second and third order uh, effects of of actions and things that were not apparent or that just weren't in public conversation yep so you're so you're kind of going through two and three steps down some decision tree yeah and you're there yeah but you haven't expressed how you got there yeah so what changed about your communication style when you started talking to army psychologists? Yeah, well, I, the army has a process for this, formal process for this, the initial counseling, quarterly counseling, annual. Just inspect- like a one-on-one. Yep, your first line supervisor, yeah. you know, the, the guy counsels all his direct reports, essentially. And in special operations, that didn't happen the same way. It's just not structured. No, it's not structured the same way. It's informal. I was trying to read what the boss wanted, but then there's multiple personalities that communicate things differently, want things 
done a different way. So I'm reading every personality and kind of try developing this, how do I make everybody happy? You're trying to be proactive, but it's not working out the yeah. way you think it will. The advice I got was explain how you work to your boss. Kind of this light bulb moment happened probably at the like 12 year mark when I'm like planning on getting out. Because ultimately it worked out. You know some of these guys, we end up getting along great and having great professional working relationships, but not without some pretty sketchy times, you know. Yeah, uh, pretty rough times, yeah. Yeah, so he just basically said, you gotta go to your bosses and you gotta kind of explain how you work. And so ultimately the, the one minute, you know, read on Nate was, hey, I work for you. I know I work for you. I want to do whatever you feel like needs to be done, how, you, how it needs to be done, but I do things differently than a lot of guys do. And if you ever see me doing something that to you looks like I'm off the reservation or whatever, just please come talk to me about it. Give me a chance to explain myself. And I might be doing it wrong and I will, I'll, I'll change, but just tell me and then let's talk about it. Yeah, so we've worked pretty closely, so I know how you operate. If someone gives you a task and it implies, hey, go from A to B to C to D, and you think, well, the object is to go from A to D, so I'm gonna go from A to beta to D. <laughs> <laughs> and when they, they see that you're not doing B and C, they say, hey, what the fuck, man? Yeah. So. Did this help you gain concurrence or the ability to do things the way that you do? Do you see yourself as an innovator too? I hated just doing mundane stuff over and over and over again. So if there was some part of the job that- You just have like a built-in disdain for the status quo? Maybe, yeah, just yeah. a rebel. <laughs> I didn't know this was going to be a counseling session. No, I think that it's definitely one of the reasons why I like, I like small business so much. You know, it's lean and mean and you're directly in charge of how you achieve an end state and there's not a whole lot of, of wickets or little things that have to get satisfied or anybody that has to give approval. So talk about the point where you had your fifth kid kind of coincides with you determining, all right, we're gonna make the choice, we're gonna get out. Like what were you, so you talked about course of action with your parents when you first joined. What course of action were you briefing your wife and your family when you left? Well, we, we had an opportunity. We had bought our second house. We had two mortgages. We were finishing up our first fixer-upper. We had a second fixer-upper that was even more decrepit than the one that we were in before. And then things happened career-wise that made me basically gonna be gone like nine months of the next 12 months. My wife was pregnant with number four and my wife was kind of like, you know, it's gonna suck. You're gonna be gone for the next nine months. We're about to have this baby. We have two mortgages, but we don't really have a plan. And if we got out, it'd be running away from something more than running to something. So let's, let's have a plan. And she was kind of the one that's like, I'd rather do these hard nine months than just jump with no idea of what's gonna go on. So we elected to stay another three years. I'm really glad that we did. The experiences was great. It allowed me to go through that self-awareness aspect with leadership to have a couple iterations of, of good working relationships. And, you know, I, I had essentially just kind of 
gave myself a lot of margin financially. That was kind of the plan. We did a cash out refinance. We were living in a, a multi-unit house. Basically our mortgage was paid by renters in the back. So we had like really low overhead as far as the family was concerned. We were living for cheap and I had three or four different things that I was working on. All my different paths were entrepreneurial. I've heard peers say, you should be able to just waltz right into a certain position. Companies are gonna want the intangible like execution capacity that you have and the you know get it done at all costs and the tolerance for risk and all these catchphrases that other people in the military say to each other to make themselves feel good about who they are yep. and about how awesome they're gonna do when they leave but it's not anybody that's actually left the military saying you know it's like kind of like just like nebulous like that doesn't help yeah. you you know to you got all the intangibles Okay, what tangibles do I need? Yeah, exactly. So the way that it worked out is we found this real estate deal in this mansion that you know needed everything. Yeah. So our kind of buffer was gone. It was still nothing like I'm to the point where I was like, maybe I shouldn't get out. Like I think I maybe could have gone back and even a couple days prior, like, oh shoot, stop, I'm gonna stay in. I ran out of money already. As it kind of happened, it was like, okay, we still had some cash. We still had renters paying our primary mortgage, but I elected to start the construction business for hire. So in North Carolina, you can do remodels up to uh, $30,000 without a license. So I basically started taking small jobs right away and started studying for the contractor test. And, and so got out of the military in December 2016, two days later formed an LLC. You know, like I didn't, I filled it out myself, sent it into the Secretary of State, didn't have any contracts for clients. Like I like subscribed to QuickBooks and did estimates on there and was like, pay 50% at the beginning and 50% at the end. And we have a right to put a sign in your front yard while we're working. That was my terms. Yeah. And I had, I had no idea, but I was like, I'm going to do really good work and that'll work out. All right. You know? And so I started doing these small jobs. I flooded a friend's house because I did some plumbing for him and was like, oh yeah, sure, I'll hook the dishwasher up for you. And then it leaked over the weekend, so I had to replace all the flooring in his house. And you know, I'm a general contractor, but I'm not a plumber. Even though I've plumbed my own houses a bunch of times, like learning just because I can do all these things doesn't mean I should do them for clients because then I make a mess up like that. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to tell you that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Coast to Coast Foundation. The Coast to Coast Foundation is founded and operated by members of the US military special operations community. Its goal is to bridge the financial gap between veterans' medical needs and what's traditionally covered. The foundation's annual cross-country motorcycle ride, the Ride for the Fallen, stops in more than a dozen cities across the country to strengthen communities and raise funds. I've crossed the country twice riding with Coast to Coast and each time it was incredibly fun and personally fulfilling. I only wish that I could do it every year. All proceeds from the Coast to Coast Foundation go to assisting veterans in their recovery from combat and service related issues like traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, substance abuse, and other physical injuries. The Coast to Coast is by veterans, for veterans. Visit coastxcoast.org to find out more and to donate. You can also find them on Instagram or Twitter at CXC Foundation. Thanks for listening and let's get back to the show. You have this tactic and this is while you're in the military and it's something that you got 
from your father, you buy a house that needs a lot of repairs for a really good price and you spend like two to three years living in it and then sell it, take the cash that you net, reinvest in a new house that also needs repairs, live in it two to three years. You spend very little time living in a nice house. Correct. But you always sell a nice houses and move out of them. Yes, and it, it's interesting too because... It's kind of like a really unique side hustle that not many people would even think about. Yeah, when I, uh, honestly, a lot of people shouldn't think about, like I've counseled guys to say like- But you don't even, you don't even do like, oh yeah, we'll change the window trimmings. No, no. It's like you're gutting, anything. you're like crawling under the house, gutting shit out. Yeah, hardcore. well, we've, we've found a, a niche that is historic properties. But the thing is, is that gives us margin because it's not so simple that a flip guy or a contractor that's trying to turn around and flip it right it doesn't make sense yeah. to do it that in every house that we've bought has been on the market for a long time like it's not been like one we've swooped in and stolen with a cash offer you know it's it's the fact that you're willing to live in it for a while while you're working on it the fact that in two years you can sell it without any taxes. We did it by owner too. Like I just stuck a sign in the yard because my wife has a good eye for design. So I don't need to pay 6% to realtors for selling it. Yeah. Everybody's going to want this house because it's awesome. So you, you gain 6% from doing by owner, living in it for three years, not having to pay capital gain, all these different. Keeping more for yourself. Yeah. You know, Dave Ramsey and a lot of these other financial guys have, have advised people essentially by remodeling it's like paying off your primary home i'm buying materials and i'm put, installing them into the bathroom the money that i spent is equity you can't go run out and spend that so talk talk about like work-life balance for you it's complete integration yes. right because you and your wife work together on everything yes you're teaching your kids as they're growing up yep yeah, one of the, the biggest things that I've come to realize is that, that my wife is my greatest counselor as far as everything goes. It's easy for, for a, a guy to be like, my wife doesn't understand whatever business that you're in, but when you're running a small business, you know, she doesn't really enjoy me talking about drama with clients or like bringing it home. And so we've had to work that out a little bit. Like, hey, babe, we're on a, we're on a date right now. Let's not talk about how the client just emailed you about whatever, like she, like, can you leave that? That's kind of some of the balance that we've had to just, like she doesn't need to, to, to ride the emotional roller coaster that is in, induced by clients, yeah. but she lives the business with me. Is she going into real estate too? She has her broker's license and we kind of thought about it. She'll be the one that buys. So uh, you're just integrating more capability into your family business. Yeah. And initially we thought, well, she'll be the one that's my buyer's agent and she'll get us into these properties. So it'll be easier for us to book showings and it'll be easier for us to, we'll get a 3% discount. It's another way I can carve margin out on these, these jobs. Cause you're moving uh, into investment too. Yes. So like you're, you're like branching out from just being gen general contractor, doing upgrades to people's houses to now looking at mixed asset portfolio, multi-unit rentals. Yes. Yeah. And I think that the realization that I've had is that 
ultimately there's a lot of money out there that people want to put to work yeah but there's not a whole lot of guys that that can be trusted to do what they say they're going to do and to get it done yeah. you know no matter what like the business there's a lot of inefficiencies in construction. So I haven't gone to somebody and say, and asked them, hey, give me $2 million, I wanna do this. Yeah. Because ultimately, like if you're being an honest broker about your business, in some ways, it's like, okay, there's inefficiencies here. There's things that I need to improve on. There's communication, there's protocol, or there's procedures. You know, that's, that's where I am now. Because the, the last three years has been such a learning experience, we haven't had a lot of margin with as far as money or time. I've been remodeling houses for clients and then going back home. And you know, that also is kind of stinks to unload all your tools when you get home, yeah. work for a couple hours, load all your tools back into the trailer because you need them on the client's job site again the next day. So like that just was a whole new aspect that before I could just leave everything set up at the house. Now I need these tools at client's house. So there's all these things that we're taking much longer. I just had to, you know, work through that. But we've kind of just got to the point where now I have tons of work in the pipeline. It's like the first time in my professional career that I have margin yeah. as far as finance and even time. I'm able to to weed out the tire kicker clients quicker. I'm able to get the the people that are, you know, it just takes takes learning experience to say like I, I recognize that you're not my client right now like, i love I'm, that term the tire kicker client yeah so you talked about opportunity costs earlier yeah i've also heard you say look if someone watches a lot of hgtv that's probably a disqualifier <laughs> yeah <laughs> or at least that? I, like managing clients expectations with real estate yeah i think that the the reality uh, working for the consumer in construction their perception is that as a contractor, I am just foaming at the mouth to do their remodel. And that, right. that they are basically allowing me the, the opportunity. I mean, I have clients like, this would be great for your portfolio. Like, yeah. your bathroom's not gonna be that pretty. I'm People not have this general, you know, in the lowest realm of hell, there are lawyers, politicians, and contractors, right? Oh, yeah. No, and that's, and, and so I do a lot of social media because of that. If you follow me on social media, you're going to meet my kids. You're going to see my personal projects. There's an integration of a personal brand yeah. in a sense, because I want to show up. We don't need to do the butt sniffing thing here. Oh, are you going to cheat me? Are you going to whatever? Ultimately, you, I, I have to have trust. You have to trust me. So like having the confidence that's come from now years of doing this for clients to just know you're better than the competitors out there, that you're different. And in having the confidence to do things a different way, I charge people for estimates because, you know, like he's got all these guys driving around with their, on their trucks, free estimates. The estimate sucks, guaranteed, because you're getting what you're, you know, you're getting what you pay for. Like you end up turning down a lot of business, but it, it helps you because you're, you're qualifying the right type of customer for you. Yes. Yeah. So going into a trade, Instead yep. of leaving the army, going to more schooling or going to work for a company, starting out for yourself and specifically going into a trade, what's the hardest thing to learn about running your own company without the formal education? Well, I, I would say the perception of like what is a, a Gucci job to have. Society perceives certain jobs as being, you right. know, 
higher end. Finance, consulting, doctor, yeah, lawyer, doctor, lawyer, tech entrepreneur. Yeah, lawyers throw money at me to fix their house because water's coming through their roof to kind of get over that perception that what you're doing in a, a blue collar industry, it's not sexy, you know, but you know what is sexy? Financial like security. Financial security and, you know, ultimately having control over your time to be with your family, to, to turn your phone off. Having that control is awesome. And I, I think a lot of veterans would do really well. Just the self-employment or the entrepreneurial route, even in the blue collar, because the reality is in our country, there's a deficit for good tradespeople. So what would you say to someone who's looking to get out, could be after like your first three year enlistment, or it could be later in your career. Someone who may be thinking about going into a trade or small business ownership, how attainable is it exactly? Well, I think that it depends on how, what your consumption is. Starting a contracting company from scratch with five kids and not a lot of margin, I wouldn't advise that route. <laughs> if yeah. you have not, especially if you have no trade experience. I, I have goals of formalizing that school of hard knocks practically for a blue collar guy, the difference between an LLC and an S Corp and what that looks like. Here's uh, how do you come about drafting a contract? How do you do these business admin things? If I could have been told that, stuff in a concentrated way and understood that, it would have saved me a lot. But especially if you're doing your first enlistment, you're not married, you know, coming out, say, look, who's building the nicest house in town? Yeah. And walk on the job and say, hey, I'll show up on time. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Because the reality is there's just a deficit for guys that'll show up and work and won't whine and whatever. And, you know, I still love getting in crawl spaces. Like, for me, there's this mental lollipop. I'm getting in this nasty part of a house that nobody's ever gonna go, and they're gonna pay me a lot of money for this. Just the, the reality is, say, like, I'm gonna roll my sleeves up, yeah. and I'm gonna do something that there's very few people can do it. And so if you're one of those guys willing to, to get your hands dirty and, yeah. and just get it done, a lot of people have houses, and not very many people know what to do when something goes wrong. And even now with this COVID thing going on to like have this fallout and be like, oh, my industry remained essential. People had to stay at home. They realized they didn't like their house or their houses were breaking faster now because they're in there. Having a recession proof business yeah. where things are falling apart, but the government has still said, hey, people's roofs leaking, people's plumb, like it's not glorious, but it stayed essential and the demand increased with these things happening, yeah. it, it's awesome. The you more know? time you spend in that crappy room, the more you dislike it. Yeah, exactly. So have you ever watched, what's that show, Dirty Jobs? Yeah. You love that show? We, we don't really have TV. But you've so seen it. The, I've seen it, and I think that what Mike Rowe's doing is awesome, and I think yeah. his personal soapbox, if you will, is, hey, we need trades. This old yeah. house, Mike Rowe, we've even talked about it. There are ways to plug guys in, coming out of the military, used to long hours and crappy environments and plug them into the trades and to get them going. I think the average age of an electrician and plumber in North Carolina is up in the 50, high 50s, early 60s, which is indicative of yeah. pretty soon. There's, Generation who can't change a tire. Yes, exactly. So when you know that, and when you have 
three or four trailers, you have a bunch of tools. If I gotta be go and start cutting trees down, I can take these tools, I can take this knowledge, I can take this workforce and I can apply them towards yeah. a ton of different tasks based on what the demand is and pivot. And I think that's powerful. You like need in, to get the hipsters out of the coffee shops yeah and on to fix it trucks maybe there's something to that like we can we maybe just need to have the trucks more stylish you know and like <laughs> so what's the biggest lesson that you learned from your own business i mean three years in but what's yeah. the thing that's helped you grow the most i think that having the ability to admit you have no idea what you're doing and reach out yeah. to somebody so like there's the beginning where you're like, I, I'm awesome, I can do this. And then it's like, oh, this is really hard. This is not what I expected, but then not really knowing what to do. And then it gets really, really hard. And so I got to ask somebody. Yeah. So like my plumber that I used, he's been in business, I think 14 years and has 25 to 30 employees. And like, yeah. he is light years ahead. So like once I, reached out to him and kind of was like, what are you doing? Help me, like how can I, you know, there's a, probably a lot of people that are different than me and they're able to like ask for help before they screw it up maybe. Uh, yeah, you like learning lessons the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Learning them the hard way and learning a lot of times. Oh, that was the same lesson I learned. That sucks, learning the hard lesson twice. Like, Helps it stick. Yeah. Do you think being in the army made you more resilient in business? Oh yeah, I think that's one of the, metrics that I apply is at least I'm not getting shot at. You know, like, I don't know where this came from, but if the problem can be solved with money, it's not a problem. I think my dad told me that, I don't know where he pulled it from, but the reality, and I, a lot of us in the military can, can deal with a lot of problems, but like financial uncertainty is huge. And we've talked about this before, not being sure whether you're gonna be able to pay the mortgage it's not even a reality, but the thought of how would I, is stresses you out way more than like a cave full of insurgents that want to kill you. Like you're ready to go. Yeah. So that's been huge. Just be like, you know, I'm not getting shot at. It's just going to take time and money. We'll fix it. We'll figure it out. You yeah. know? And that resilience came from, I, I don't have that perspective without the military. That is ingrained in me forever. That's not what like, a client's gonna wanna hear, but in the middle of it, when they're upset, you can remain calm and you can remain a professional yeah. when you know I'm getting yelled at, but I've actually really been yelled at before. I have a good friend, Noah, who I gave him a piece of advice 12 years ago and he gave it back to me years later. <laughs> yeah, and, no, he, and he said something along the lines of one of the biggest things that we bring to the table is that when everything else starts going haywire, we just get calmer. Yes. Because we know that riding that wave isn't gonna help. I'm sure you've experienced this. There is a cycle of emotions that happens with everybody when they ping. They come back down yeah. off of it. They hit the level. If a client screaming or somebody like a, a subcontractor or being in the middle of a client and the fire marshal that may not let you get a certificate of occupancy so they can move in that day and it's a deadline to get disbursement of money and you're like sitting there, you're able to be the adult in the room because you just get calmer. It's like, everybody, okay guys, what do we need to do? How do we make you happy, the fire marshal? How does the client get what they want? That calmness will breed 
calmness in the room and even just empathy, empathy with them. You're not going to so, boil over. Yeah, I understand that you're upset. All right, we're going to fix this. You can resolve it and it's not that hard. It's not a problem. Yeah. It's, it's just, just going to require fixing. Or you've spent a lot of time on your your own podcast talking about family life changing after getting out, which mm -hmm. by the way, we could plug that now. We could probably put like links up. Yep. Your podcast is called Change Orders. Correct. And it's about how life changed for you and the things that you worked through and a lot of his family, a lot of his business and sort of inner soul searching. Mm -hmm. So not to be, not to go through that, you know, whole catalog. Can you just pick out some of the highlights of how family life changed once you got out? You're talking about it a little bit before, but you're, yeah. you're home 365 nights now. Yeah, it's a human condition to want to point at something someone else is doing, to blame something else. When you're in the army, you get these external people or entities that you can blame. But when you're running a small business and it's you, and you can't blame anyone else, it's me. If you're in the army, you're able to kind of push all those different, you're just able to silo family problems and silo military problems and kind of deal with them when you're at, at the office, when you're at the house, oh, I got a deployment. You can kind of play this shell game and, and leave the problems isolated, but when you're running a small business out of your home and you're home 365 nights, there's no siloing anything. There's no reprieve from one or the other. It's all on the table. And the reality to be like, man, I got out of the army to be present with my wife and kids and to be a father and a husband. And I have been a bigger jerk than I've ever been the entire time because I have, you know, the thing that I love to do is no longer a part of my life. And now I'm here every daggum day and there's no getting out of it. But, but I got to change me though. It's not like, my wife is terrible and my kids suck and my job is like, the, cli the client is paying me what I told them. I just didn't tell them enough. All these things revolve around you as a person growing. And it's hard when you come to that reality to then do the work to fix you. I prided myself on being a, a good person. I was religious, I had a strong family life, had strong church uh, relationships. And instead of just being like, do you understand how special I am? I'm, I'm the man. America, freedom and democracy exists because of me. We have that mental lollipop that we're doing these great things for America and oh, yeah. it's gone now. Yeah. I'm not doing any of that anymore. And now the little things, showing empathy to my children and listening to my wife when she's saying things about me that are true, but hard to hear and then dealing with it that's hard. That's not something that you get, you know, bronze stars for or whatever, but that's, yeah. it is essential to our society. Having strong homes, having kids that grow up with dads and moms that raise them correctly. That is, I would say maybe more crucial to our way of life continuing than any guy I went after and captured or killed. Hey, there's plenty of guys to be commandos and are coming right behind you. There's only one to be the husband and the father to your wife and kids or, you know, the wife to the husband and kids. So take that seriously, find community, find friends and family that'll kind of say the hard things to you and, and take them seriously and work on it. 
Hey everyone, this is the point where we take a break to talk about the podcast. If you're tuning in right now, we thank you simply for that. We hope that you find our stories interesting and you may even get some useful insight from them. We hope that you're subscribed on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you can get the latest episodes every two weeks when they come out. If you're using Apple or Stitcher, we ask that you rate and review. A rating is quick and easy, just the number of stars you give, and a review is where you write what you think about the show. More importantly, we all know that the most effective advertising is done by word of mouth, so please share us with your people if you think they'll enjoy. If you want to engage with the podcast, you can find everything about us on thankyounowwhat.com. We're on Twitter, and now we're on Instagram, both at thankyounowwhat. And you can always get in touch with us directly by emailing thankyounowwhat at gmail.com. It's been great having everyone get in touch over the past month since launching the podcast. We love your feedback. We've even heard from some people we haven't spoken to in quite a while, and it was really great to reconnect with them. In a broader sense, please know that we try to make our discussions engaging for all audiences. But if you've never served, we know that sometimes we're gonna bring up some concept that's foreign or nuanced within the military. If that's the case, you can always just get in touch with us. But what may be even better is if you use that to strike up a meaningful conversation with someone you know who did serve, maybe get their take on it. It may lead to a deeper relationship with that person. Lastly, producing a podcast isn't free. If you really like what we're doing here and you would like to contribute, there are a couple options. First, we have a link on our website to give a one-time contribution via PayPal. Second, we also have a link to our Patreon site, patreon.com slash thankyounowwhat. There, you can subscribe to give a fixed amount per episode, even if it's just a dollar. We've had several people very generously donate to the podcast so far. You know who you are, and we are incredibly thankful for your belief in what we're doing. Please know that Ben and I are volunteering our time and effort and that all net proceeds from this podcast will be redirected to nonprofits that support veterans as soon as we pay for things like hosting, software, and equipment. If you prefer to give directly to the nonprofits that we feature on the podcast, you can do that as well. All in all, thanks for joining us and seeing where this road goes. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, so what are some of the ways that you've determined to like give back that time to your family or even give back to the community? One of the reasons to get better at business is to have business take less of my time. If I can get good enough and systematize things, the motivation is that I can have more time for my family and... Spend more time at church now? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, being there every week. Yeah. But it can also be difficult, like with church people, man, you kind of annoy me, you know, like the reality is, is like eventually that veneer that we're all showing comes out yeah. and you get to know people for who they really are. And there's some things about those people that you don't like, but the same thing is true for you and to stick it out and kind of work through it. My wife would say, you know, we go over to dinner at somebody from church's house or like just civilians, you know, and as you separate from the military and you're not around, these people are pretty awesome. They're, yeah. they're fighting the good fight in different ways. They're doing things that for society and providing value in different ways. And then even just personally for me, things that are hard, having a family and being a good husband and father, like there's some guys at church that are way better at this husband and father thing than me and I can learn a lot from them. That's an interesting thing to learn too because it's something that I've learned ever since I was 18. I just wanted to be playing G.I. Joe. 
Yeah, well, since before that, but from 18, got to do it. If our country was just a bunch of soldiers and no grade school teachers, it would suck. Yeah. If our country was just a bunch of soldiers and no doctors and nurses, it would suck. Yeah. And so now you're meeting all these people and integrating back into their community. And businesses paying taxes pay soldiers. Yeah. People innovating, people employing, people generating value, people trading things, moving all that funds, uh, our right to fly on that little bird. I ultimately feel like you can get out as a soldier and look around and be like, every one of these people doesn't know what I, that nobody knows what I did, you know, the blood and the sweat and all this. And like the, what I did was worth it for my right to live the rest of my life in America. Just me, I did for like for me to wake up next to my wife, to go and do construction, just the privilege to live in this society yeah. for the rest of your life. You don't need anybody else to approve that or to give you kudos for it. It's just a blessing to now pay taxes and work and drive on roads that are nice. All these things about our society that you just get to enjoy the rest of your life is worth what you did in the military, just for you and your family. Yeah, it doesn't really sound like you have any entitlement about being in the military, checking out, and then deserving that. Yeah. You try to earn it every day. Even. Yeah, and I think that the sooner that a vet can get rid of that, I think that I definitely had some of it getting out. Delusions that I did these amazing things and in the face of all odds and whatever, and now that's gonna be mon easily monetizable. Y y you can monetize it in some ways, you know, and a lot of guys that we know have, but is that really lasting wealth and growth for generations? No, it's quick bucks. Building businesses, understanding how to do that, that's where the potential exists and you're not gonna get there with an entitlement mentality. You're gonna get it from humility and ability to learn and to work hard. Yeah. There's no such thing as magic. It's the money ball situation. Yeah. Base hits, being consistent, understanding how to allocate your time on the outside. Now it's very difficult to allocate your day correctly when you have control of all of it. It's very easy to get sidetracked, but when you wake up early, you have a certain critical tasks that you've thought about beforehand, you apply yourself to it, and then you, you can be done and have some leisure after that too. Because I think that's been a hard thing for me is thinking that I have to work 12 hours in order to have done a good, like if I can work really efficient yeah. for four to six hours and then take my kids to the park from 3 p.m. till whatever, that's okay. I got stuff done, I moved the needle, and that's it, a reward for being good at what you do. Yeah. So closing the loop on one thing, you're homeschooling your kids. Mm -hmm. So first I want to just talk about what homeschool actually means. It's not that your five kids sit at home with you and your wife and you go over math, science, every, it's community thing. Mm -hmm. But then what from your own experience do you think is going to benefit or challenge your kids as, you, as they grow up? My sons probably get the brunt of this, you know, but just saying what's the, the next most important thing besides love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself is know how to work. So their education is to, to know how to work yeah. right now. So what does that mean? Like know how to add value, know how to be in demand? 
Yeah, I say to them, uh, I got 11, four to 11. This is hardly proven. Like, we'll see how these, all these rugrats turn out, you know, but I'm taking them to on job sites with me and having them converse with people. Having my nine-year-old or my six-year-old go up to the plumber and be like, what are you doing? And talk. And these guys re respond, like understanding kind of where people fit. We do a lot about cash flow what's passive income, what's earned income, and they're asking a lot of questions. You know, we went out to a job and, why'd you only stay here for two minutes? And well, dad had to inspect that this was installed properly because I got to pay a check to this guy, but if I give him the check before I look and then there's something wrong, it's really hard to get that guy to show back up. And these conversations that we're having, I, I believe I got a lot of that from my watching my dad start a business, run a business, talking to them about interest rates and markets. And we watched Dalio's global markets like uh, YouTubes and like my sons were fixated. You know, it's visually kind of yeah. pleasing, but I'm really, that's my contribution is to, you know, my wife is very, very smart. She's had a SAT score that would have got her a full ride to any state school and she could have done whatever she wanted to academically. And she elected to be a wife and a mom and some people kind of look down on that but she views it as i have the opportunity to to train and grow five people and and that's a noble endeavor and to form a home that is is good for them so she really tries to make learning fun really tries to customize it for the kid the things that they're drawn to and you, know, you got to do some of these other things but the good thing is we're, uh, there's not a mold that we're trying to fit here. And my kids go and help their mom reset the Airbnb. And, and <laughs> they go with me to fix something at the rental property and take the tools. Like it's been a really nice to kind of take them, have a business I can take them along with. And I, I think that's going to be formative to them. You know, what kind of nuggets that they're going to pull from that and apply wherever they end up. But I do, I do ask my boys, like, do you want to work for somebody? Or do you want to be the boss? You know, and I say that to them all the time. Like we have talked about ways that they could start small businesses. Right now, flies are big. I've actually talked to them about going and installing stuff in people's trash cans so that it kills the flies there. You know, and like really, yeah. And so they, I mean, they're fired up about it. Hey, Dad'll be a. He'll give you the capital to buy these fly traps that you could put in people's trash can lids and then you can go around door to door. But then my wife was like, I don't know if we want to send 11 and six year old door to door <laughs> to do this. I was like, oh, get them a square reader and we'll do all this, you know, but they get pretty fired up about that. And it's more about being independent and secure in life than being just money hungry when you're talking with your kids. Yeah, and having the ability to kind of think for yourself is excellent. And typical education doesn't, typical, our, our, you know, our society needs more employees than it needs business owners. That's just the reality. Like there's a lot of things to be done and they're done by employees. And so the system and education is set up to, to meet demand for you know, employers that have this stuff. And there's a lot of things that you're, you know, making kids do really early on that just make them hate learning. And my kids, every single one of them tears through books right now, which is something that I'd never really did. I was always outside. So it's, that's something that's my wife's influence, probably more so than mine. But the fact that they're, all of them are in a, in a corner with a book and just reading tons of books. When, uh, when people ask your kids about their dad, what do you think they'll say and what do you hope they'll say? 
I think I think that they probably will talk a lot about working on the house. You know, they've asked me before, like, can we get a house that's fixed and not broken down? However, that question was phrased to them, probably, because people say, like, what do you do? We immediately go to vocation, or what's your dad's favorite thing, or what, like, I don't know. They probably would come back with a vocational answer, too, like he owns his own business or whatever. Um, About the things that you pass on to them. That want them to, to, to know that I love them for sure not to be in doubt of that even as if I can when I'm a jerk or whatever to know that I love them know that I'm proud of them and to know that I love their mom too I think that being committed to their mom and I I would love that they start their own small business and have a big family too you know that would be a a compliment that that what they saw me doing and how we lived our life wasn't wasn't so traumatic for them because <laughs> a lot of my siblings don't want anything to do with fixer-uppers. Several of my sisters are like, give me a turnkey house, even though they know how to do everything. Your company Instagram page is full of your kids. So just <laughs> quick, quick plug. And if, you, and if you live in North Carolina, definitely transformnc.com. Yeah. Uh, or if you're on Instagram and you don't even have to live in North Carolina because it's entertaining to everybody. Yeah, it's, uh, at tra transform underscore NC. Yeah, and you, I, I'm, I'm looking, I, your third picture from the top is kids sitting in a toilet, inside a toilet. <laughs> That's like, I'm, I'm assuming is about to be installed somewhere. But yeah, and I, I, I think going forward, I'd say is I, I've, I've done natespearing.com. I'm starting to kind of build that out because I view that as gonna be the focal point for if I build any kind of courses, if I'm gonna probably put my, hang my podcast as kind of a sub page there. It's, yeah. it's changeorders.org right now, but as my different ventures and ideas, like I think that it's gonna be good for me to consolidate. I'm working with graphics design and branding right now to kind of put to like a page that's more associated with me, personal brand, and it'll kind of uh, build out for the different kind of initiatives that I, that I do from there. It just looks fun. You got pictures, videos, you're swinging hammers, you're tearing stuff down, sawing through stuff. You got your three boys sitting on the hood of the truck. You're yep. all wearing the company hat. Yeah, and them seeing me working with the graphics design artist to, to do a logo and then ordering hats and then them getting a hat. I have a bunch of whiteboards up in my office and they'll come sit up there and draw on the whiteboards. And I even have a TV in there. Sometimes we'll watch a movie while I can sit there at the desk and do yeah. estimates and quotes while I'm, we're watching Lord of the Rings or something like that. You know, I work a lot. I'm still trying to work less because I'm still, but I'm still learning to work better. And my hope is that they don't feel like what we're doing and what we're building, you know, I can reduce the amount of time it takes every day down soon enough that the majority of them won't really remember the fact that I was slaving uh, in a small business. They'll remember long camping trips. You know, we were actually planning, I'm planning on taking the the three oldest on the Appalachian Trail, like just starting at the beginning of it and then texting my wife four or five days later, you know, maybe we're only gonna make it three miles, but getting somewhere where there's not a lot of distraction and spending time with them, yeah. learning how they're, like what's going on in their minds. So my, my kids like to play outside my office windows and make 
a ton of noise. They're always taking tools from the trailer and, and trying to borrow boards. And my wife tells me that's their creativity and independence. And where do you think you, they got it from? And like, I'm around them a lot. I like being around them a lot. And it's a, it's a noble endeavor to try to build a household and a business that supports, even just looking at a, establishing a business culture that enables fathers and mothers to, to prioritize family and prioritize the home, that's a goal of mine too. Yeah. Uh, okay, just to end it off here, this should be, we do a ton of editing on yeah. this, so we've been on for like more than two hours now. Yeah. But uh, this is like our keynote question for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I fucked that up. All right, we'll do it again. <laughs> we'll do another take since we're among friends. <laughs> um, do we still have your producer online? Yeah, Ben's still, yeah, still, he's been staring at me from two hours now. Turn it my way. Uh, Give them something right. good to look at. I've been reading my own notes the whole time. <laughs> All right, so you think I just come from the hip with this? Mm -hmm. uh, are you the person you are because of the time in the military? Or are you just a better version of the person you already were? I would say that, that my time in the military enhanced the things that needed enhancing or were beneficial and stripped away some things that needed to be, I mean, I would just say refined probably would be the word that I'd use. Like the military refined who I was already. Um, gave me a lot of opportunities, gave me a lot of very large range of experiences that are transferable, but definitely who I was as a person and kind of the foundation to my upbringing and my faith. And, and then, you know, the army being kind of the crucible that, that refined me and and gave me tools and confidence and tolerance for risk yeah to to go forward and do things and you know i'm blessed for sure uh ben did you uh have anything earlier you were saying you had this vision when you enlisted that you'd be a ranger and i'd imagine a lot of people question that but you just you knew you were going to do it you did it and did, was there any self-doubt with that, or is it the similar vision that you also carried with your first business and knowing you'd get it done no matter what? So I, we just recently had a meeting with our tax attorney and accountant doing some 20-year planning to what is this year. And my accountant brought this tax attorney in, and he's like, I brought you here to talk to you about Nathan. And he's like, I've done his taxes for the last three. So this guy has like the most honest probably account of what my journey's been like since getting out of the military. But he's telling this tax attorney, Nathan sets a goal and then he accomplishes it and he accomplishes it faster and more profitable than he said he was going to do it. And then my wife's like, yeah, y'all don't even know half of it. And I'm like, <laughs> are y'all talking about me? Because I just feel like it's been chaos, you know. Looking back and I, I failed a lot of things in the military. I basically recycled almost everything that you could recycle except for ranger school. Like I had to do it twice and it was not because uh, always because of performance, I just made a dumb mistake, showed up late to a formation and they're like, oh, you're doing ranger indoctrination program over. So it's like the, the three weeks of hell that you have to do to get into ranger battalion. And I got to do all three weeks again. So I've had to persevere through things and do them over multiple times. And they asked me, you know, are you sure you want to do this again? I'm like, yep, like this is what I'm, this is what I'm doing. And it hasn't always worked out in the timeline that I expected. And then there's been setbacks. And I think that's that perseverance to continue to know what you're doing. I was honed 
in the military and I failed in big ways many times, you know, almost got fired. And so I've gotten comfortable messing up. And honestly, like being at this point where I have margin is more unsettling to me than any time where I've been behind the power curve. Like, wait, it's working? Our investments are paying off? We got money coming in? We got, I was like, what do I do now? And maybe that's kind of the harder part about it is, is business goals can be more nebulous than I want to get to a certain unit or I want to pass this selection or I want to, you know, goals can be in a pyramid. So being out where business, where you're defining those with your wife and, and for your family's benefit, those can be, it can be more challenging and harder. Great. Thanks for being on. My pleasure. <laughs> All right. Thanks everyone for tuning into this episode of Thank You Now What? To see more about Nate, you can visit his personal website at natespearing.com. You can listen to his personal podcast at changeorders.org. If you are interested in construction and home remodeling, or if you live in central North Carolina, you should check out his business at transformnc.com. And if you just like looking at beautiful homes or seeing a great dad bringing his crazy kids to work, check him out on Instagram at transform underscore NC. I've known Nate for about 10 years now, and we've for sure spent more than a thousand hours in conversation. What I've gotten from him over the years and during this discussion is to accept every challenge that comes your way, stay true to who you are, and stay genuine and committed to the people you love and call friends. I've seen firsthand how it makes for a great person. Join us next time on the podcast when we talk to Monty Leja, a career Army Special Forces medic. Monty enlisted after Desert Storm and he never intended to make the Army a career. Then he ended up staying for 24 years. We're going to talk about the early days of the war in Afghanistan, how combat medical training has evolved over the years, and how he's continuing his career after service while still remaining in the business of saving lives. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Thank You Now What?